Hey, did you know that the podcast you're listening to right now is actually part of a network of podcasts dubbed the Amazing Friends Podcast Network, Ethan Parker Smith? I did, Griffin Sheridan. And did you know that for other great podcasts, comics, and more, you can visit SheridanandSmith.com? Huh. No shit. Stag. Man and his amazing friends. All right. You ready? You want me to just go ahead and bring us in? Yeah, I want some more energy. Okay, all right. Bring it up. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here we go. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new Stegman and his amazing friends. Uh, I'm producer and supple boy Ethan, but it's not my podcast. It's Ryan Stegman's podcast. Ryan, how you doing this week, dude? I am fantastic. Never had a better week. Everything's going great (laughs) and perfect. (laughs) Who's that other voice that we hear on the call? Do we have a special guest this week? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I will introduce myself. <laughs> I would love it. No problem. My name's Jim Zub. Uh, I'm the writer of Conan the Barbarian and unfortunately a fan of Ryan Stegman. <laughs> hey, mutual. Oh. Mutual admiration here. For yourself? I'm not surprised. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what I meant. Myself. Jim, Everybody it's... already knows that. I'm, I'm loud about that. Yeah. Jim, it's awesome. It's awesome to have you on. Are you also having a perfect week this week? Well, I'm up here in Canada, so I'm sort of having mm-hmm. a perfect, like, it's, it is okay. Toronto is uh, on a lockdown, so uh, we have our own problems. But, okay. uh, yeah, you know, we're, I'm okay. Uh, the holidays were strange. The world is a strange place, and uh-huh. sort of watching from afar as everything normal down south, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, you guys don't need us, though. Like, we, we don't, you don't need us to be in any kind of good shape, right? I, I mean, gonna, I, I feel like everybody in Canada just sits there and laughs and thinks about We how... don't laugh. It's more of a, just a kind of a anxious concern. Let's put it that way. That's <laughs> just, fair. Yeah, yeah. A very polite, anxious concern with a, with a side of apology. Like, oh, shame shame about the what's going on not that we don't have our own problems we have we have tons of problems so i can't uh, i don't have very many from what it. i can tell but eh, we're okay You're too polite. you had rob ford for a while there in toronto that was interesting well we've got doug ford as our premier so uh, right yeah that's so right he's, he's now the head of the whole province and uh that has been interesting but yeah you know. Well, couple th- couple things to address right off the bat. One, uh, there is no other supple boy here this week. Uh, we'll, he's dearly missed. Uh, we are live once again this week. For anybody that's not actually watching live, we got the chat going, so we'll be answering questions from the chat. Ryan Jose says it's his birthday. Tell him happy birthday. Jose, I gotta say I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Happy birthday, Jose. <clears throat> Uh, Jim, we got a bunch of people in the chat that are excited to hear uh, what you got to say. We oh, got sweet. Conan fans. We got fans of all awesome. your other stuff. Uh, and uh, we were just talking just slightly before we started recording. I really enjoyed reading your recent Conan issues. It's really cool stuff. I want to get into it. Ryan, awesome, do you want to structure this discussion? Because yeah, <laughs> I know that you're, you're such a fan of podcast structure. 
Um, I don't know how to structure anything, but mm. I will say I also read. I read the what's it? The Crucible. What's it called? Into the Crucible. Yeah. Into the Crucible. I just. Is read it those okay if issues. I drink while we while we do this? Is there a? Absolutely. Normally, I normally I drink, but I decided to do Dry January. So. Jeez. Oh, okay. Well, Are you really? Wow. Well, good for I'm you, already, Ryan. That's I haven't awesome. had a drink, but I I was discussing it with my wife earlier and saying I am not that interested in this dry January bowl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know why not do it for a few days and see sure. what happens. Um. Anyway, yeah, I just finished reading the first four issues uh, before I got on here. I, for one, am a huge uh, Conan fan. Are you? Have you uh, ever drawn Conan? No, that's what I was thinking oh that while I was doing God. it. I was like, what the hell? How have I not done a cover? I told uh, Mark Basso that I wanted to do a cover and he said, of course. And then, you know, they they get squirrely about my schedule because uh, obviously they need these books for me. And so they, they get upset whenever I'm accepting jobs that I don't have time for. Right. Uh, but maybe after in the family, King and Black that's or whatever. Part, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, once you get done uh, your latest, uh, once you get done King and Black, you should come on over and do do at least do a variant man that would be amazing yeah no i i mean he that's the the thing with conan to me is he's always he's always been a vehicle for the very best uh, figure artists in comics oh my god know? yes so absolutely john buscema uh barry windsor smith mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think ernie chan did some really good stuff there's just yep. there's a lot of i mean you know carrie nord it's just mm-hmm. phenomenal like there's so many great uh runs on the series right. The black and white stuff in Savage Sword is to die for. Like some of those, mm-hmm. if you guys are have not read the original Savage Sword of Conan runs, they've got them the in these Thomas, wonderful yeah. omnibuses now, and the reproduction quality is stunning. And and the fine line quality because these artists they were being printed only in black and white, and the page size was bigger because it was a magazine release. They would just go balls out. Like they would they would do these like etching style you know, kind of ink yep. work on, on Busema and all these guys. And it is to die for. Some of those stories are like burned into my brain in terms of <laughs> storytelling quality and mm-hmm. beautiful line. Like the only kind of modern artist that I think is doing that kind of stuff occasionally is like Frank Cho when he would like, he unloads those crazy, you know, uh, uh, real elegant kind of line work pages. Yeah. But like the um, Alcala, the Alfredo Alcala. Yeah. Piece. Yeah. Exactly right, and it's just it's stellar, stellar stuff. But I think it, the character brings out a lot of great qualities in artists, and and just allows for a lot of iconic sort of storytelling elements. It's a it's a joy. I was such a big Conan fan when I was a kid, and sword and sorcery is like in my blood. Uh, and right now, I'm writing both Dungeons and Dragons and Conan at the same time, which is like two of the biggest properties in fantasy. So mm-hmm. I feel like if I'm not peaking, I I don't know what's after this. Like it feels like on a sword and sorcery <laughs> level, I've I've got I've got it all, which I very very thankful for. And uh, yeah, cornered the, the market. Of, I have cornered the market on sword and sorcery. Uh, it's funny, Charles Soul and I were talking about that last year. Um, I guess not last year. It's 2021 now. In 2019, when we were at a convention. Uh, we were chatting about that, and he sort of said, you know, you've really kind of made yourself the fantasy guy. And I was like, it's, I really feel comfortable, and I love doing it. And I've been telling Marvel for a long time, like, all the supernatural characters, all the fantasy stuff, that's my jam. You know, put like put, put me in, coach. Like, that's where I, that's where I want to be, you know, so. Yeah, that means Skull Kickers, your, uh, your um, 
create her own book was yeah. very fantasy. I that, mean, that was, was my that Dungeons was my breakout project. Yeah. yeah. So right. it was like Skull Kickers was sort of you know this wry uh, humor kind of Dungeons and Dragons meets Conan like meets a buddy cop movie like it's bizarro kind of thing. The feeling that I had playing D and D when I was a kid, which was just like this hooligan style fantasy where you're just kicking down doors and killing monsters and taking <laughs> gold right because you're mm-hmm. nine years old you've never played D, have you uh i start i i play i have uh oh. and it was recent it was within the past year that we oh, uh cool. i played for the first time <laughs> oh my uh, god yeah i don't I, I never really had knew anybody that played it when i was younger but right. um yeah, no, I have a friend who's really into dungeon mastering, so he he set up a whole game for us, and it was awesome. But then you know the pandemic hit, so yeah. we haven't gotten back together. A lot well, of Ryan, people have been playing I, online. Ryan, I don't want to. I don't want yeah. to shock you, but I am a dungeon master. Um, <laughs> so that is know. shocking, Ethan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, if you ever want to play, you know, you can grab Donnie. I'm yeah. surprised you you have time to be a dungeon master in between uh, reading every single comic book that comes out on the show. Dude, I read all the, I read all the Jim Zub shit you sent me. I'm always Woo! doing my homework, man. That's great. No, it's um yeah D and D. I would not be a comic writer if it wasn't for D and D. I wouldn't be a writer. Oh at all. yeah. Like it yeah. gave me the confidence and the excitement to create stories, not just partake stories like not just read them but to actually want to make my own and the response you get at the table when you come up with something fun you know oh, yeah yeah that interactivity it's so it means so much to me you know what i mean and obviously yeah. with the comic it's a longer you know kind of uh, turnaround time but still that feeling of we're having a, a conversation or we're making something mm-hmm. yeah it's so good and i, I like for me, writing characters is like role playing. Like I, you know, I'm not just gonna. When I wrote Avengers or whatever, and I'm doing a scene with Captain America, it's like I'm gonna get into the headspace of Steve Rogers. Here's what's happening in the scene. How would he say it? Like mm-hmm. I know some writers, they can kind of. I don't want to call out any names, but they like. You always hear their voice in the character, no matter what. Like it's always mm-hmm. their their kind of wry style of of banter. And for me, it's like, no, I've got to be Steve Rogers. I've got to be Peter Parker or, you know, whatever. Wanda, you know, Scarlet Witch or like whoever these characters are, I got to really get into their heads. And that's just like, for me, that's a form of role play, you know, like, like yeah. or anything else. So um, Yeah. Cause, and it role also role teaches you to think on your feet yeah. um, in terms of like coming up with ideas on the fly, which is, you know, it's kind of, that's, I've, I've started to do a little bit of writing stuff and then I go to these summits and I have to talk to marvel editors and i watch how it happens i'm like these guys are just like making shit up right now yeah and i always I, I never realized that that's how you did it so that and then now i'm trying to like you know learn how to do that because you know i want to type everything out and like you know i i, I have a hard time transitioning when somebody throws out one idea and i get fixated on it and sure. then i miss the rest of the other yeah. ideas and you're like no you just got to keep going with it it's all like just you know, it's kind of like improv where you just right, have to right. like it keep is totally adding like to improv. it. Yeah. Well, and, and the ability to both add to what's being developed in the moment and and get your voice in there, but also not be so precious that you're just going to mm. try and choke the life from it or not let anyone else be involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I've only done a couple of those summits because I've never been a Marvel exclusive, so I haven't been like at the table on the big summits, but I've done a couple of the Avengers ones when we did the uh, Avengers No Surrender and No Road Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, sitting at the table with with Tom and Alana, uh, 
Mark Wade and, and Al Ewing and all of us riffing at the at the boardroom table for like eight hours to build those weekly events. And that was so much fun. Like it was stressful the first time because I felt like, oh God, you know, I got to prove myself. I got to, you know, Mark Wade's such, got such a crazy legacy of amazing books and Al is such a smart and, and, and amazing writer and able to build these really emotional stories. And I feel like I'm, what is my spot here? How am I going to fit? Right. And then, you know, once we got a good rhythm going and we were all throwing in cool ideas and realizing that we didn't have to be precious about it, and we could have a lot of fun. And even building up weird little in-jokes at the table, you just get more and more comfortable with it. And right. it's something I, one of my favorite memories of writing comics, and it's something that, um, you know, I I really would love to do more of because I think that there's so much of the collaborative process that is that is important right. to make these books great. You know, I love that you have such a good relationship with Donnie that you're not just, you know, the art robot that you guys are throwing ideas into the mix and getting on calls together. And, you know, that's the kind of relationship you want with a, with a team. Like you want right. to have that kind of bouncing back and forth. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just so good. Corey Smith's taken over on Conan. He's going to be the new artist with an issue 19 that mm -hmm. I think comes Very out late choice. February or early March. It's funny because he's not a sword and sorcery guy, but you would not know it. Those pages, he has taken mm -hmm. to it so well. He is phenomenal. And uh, Well, it's like we said, he's a great figure artist. Yeah, you know? he's knocking it out. Like, And the funny thing was, we got on a call and we just immediately got along. Like, he was just so great. And he was laughing because he goes, you know, I was so thankful because the first story's in like a jungle. I don't have to draw any high-rise buildings. I don't have to draw, <laughs> you know, all this hard tech and all this stuff. He's like, it's just cool, organic stuff and monsters and badasses. And uh, he's just really, really digging into it. So... I'm so um, on, on the end of the crucible, who was that artist? Because I had I, I can't remember the name. I read it a couple times because I've mm -hmm. I've never heard of them. But they were very uh, yeah. Roge Antonio, also. yeah, he's yeah. quite good. He was um, so yeah. He was supposed to be the ongoing artist on the issue. He did into the crucible, and then the the pandemic hit, and uh, you know schedules changed, and the whole thing sort of fell apart on that. And we're now back on and, and putting the book together. Raj was great. And he did a really good job on the book. And he had a really fun um, take on a lot of the action stuff as well. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I put him through the paces. There's some stuff I wrote in there. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not going to be easy. Like, that's that's some, you know. But, but that's the fun thing about that collaborative process is you sort of put, okay, this is going to be a really tough sequence. But then, you know, other areas will be a little bit less insane. And let's, you know, turn it up and then dial it back yeah there there was he he was seemed to um ha, he he seemed to get better even as the mm -hmm. series went on because he was good at the beginning but then as as he was doing that fi the figure work with conan he got more and more sort of loose with it and yep. it was you know it became like really you know just great conan figure work and i i was picking up like a little bit of umberto in his art but a little less cartoony and a little more like Mahmoud Azrar. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you know, because we were taking over for Jason and Mahmoud, that's obviously going to have an influence, I think. Right. And, and, you know, we were feeling this pressure, like, you know, that's a pretty seminal run they already put together and we're picking up the torch and going to carry it forward. Um, the other thing that really threw me was I wasn't, it sounds weird. It's like I wasn't planning to take over the series. So uh, I did a three-issue run of Savage Sword of Conan in um, 2019. And that was, in my mind, 
my mic drop on this is what I think a cool Conan story is. Oh, really? So I had co-written Conan with Gail Simone on a miniseries at Dark Horse in, I want to say 2016, maybe 2015. Time is flying. Um, and that was a really fun thing to do. It was like a four-issue mini. Uh, and that was my first time writing Conan, and I was really, really proud to do it. I actually have a Conan project I did before that. I don't know if you know this. I, like, I started as an artist and an illustrator. I did coloring. Uh, yeah. So I colored some of the Dark Horse reprints of Conan oh, when they were cool. doing the old Barry Windsor Smith stuff just after they got the license. So that's like 2003. Um, so That's awesome. It, yeah, so weird. Like, I, so I did Conan back Did you through. do a good job? I did pretty good. I look back at it now, and I feel like... We were kind of given a mandate to, to modernize it with some digital coloring kind of techniques. I would have I would have hewed closer to the original color palettes if it was if it was on me, especially now. Um, but at the time we were kind of flexing a little more like, hey, look digital, we can make the water all, you know, affecty yeah. and stuff. So I like that, I'm, at that point, would it have been a dream job for you, like to find out that you were going to write on it down the line? Like would that have oh, been? Oh I mean, I I just working on comics that were going to be published in mm -hmm. 2003 was like my god i'm in the comic industry yeah like yeah, I, yeah. Re I remember going to my first san diego comic-con and they had that zero issue the one that um kurt Busick and, and carrie nord did and kurt was signing at the dark horse booth and i grabbed a copy and he signed it and i was just like a gibbering idiot like i was so excited <laughs> and i said i'm working on conan too and he was like what and I went, no, like I'm coloring the reprints. And he had this very nice, like, that's nice. Like, you know, like, yeah. like, what do you want me to say? You know, but in my <laughs> head, that was a big deal. Like we were working on Conan, but we weren't, you know. We're uh, colleagues. <laughs> yeah, we're clearly, we're on the same team. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, and then all those years later to get to write it once with Gail, I thought was, man, it'll never get better than this. Because he's such a, I collected those books like crazy. And I love, you know, the original Robert E. Howard stories and all this stuff. And then, um, and then the crazy thing was that Marvel got the license back, and we put him in No Road Home, that Avengers event. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, so I went to that summit, uh, and I thought I was going to have to fight Mark Wade and Al Ewing for the Conan <laughs> stuff. So I went to that meeting like a, like a lawyer preparing a legal case. Like I was like, I have a lot of experience with Conan, and I know the material <laughs> really well. And I brought like all this cool stuff, and I'd written up a bunch of things about how the character works and how he's going to react. Exhibit A, my yeah. colors. No, no, like it was <laughs> it was way too much. I was way obsessive because I thought you know Al and Mark are just going to eat up all the coolness. And I walk into that meeting, and it was the funniest thing because I basically so finally we talked about a bunch of other stuff, and then the. Conan comes up because we know we're going to put him in this event. And uh, I said, look, I'm not, I don't want to assume anything, but like, I know a lot about Conan and uh, Al Ewing goes, Oh yeah, of course, you know, you're, 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 you're <laughs> on it. and I just sort of went, Oh, and then Mark Wade goes, I'm ambivalent about Conan. If you really want to do it, I'm excited for you to do it. And I kind of got mad. I was like, fight me. Like I prepared yeah. all this stuff to beat you in this conversation and you just rolled over and gave it to me. How dare you? How dare you give me my favorite character? You know, so it was, uh, it was, it was pretty ridiculous. And we all laughed about it. So I wrote probably like 90% of the Conan scenes in No Road Home. And again, uh -huh. I thought, oh, this is my only chance to ever write the character. But I had this niggling thing in the back of my mind because both of these credits are co-written. Regardless of the reality of how much I wrote, on the cover, there's three writers or two writers with Gail or whatever. 
and I want to have my ego. I want to have a Conan story. I just want to have one that I wrote. And so I was, I found out that Savage Sword was an anthology and I was like, okay, I want to do a story. And I kind of poked at it and poked at it. And Mark Besso is the editor on the series and we've done work on other projects. And so I just kind of clung to that and pitched him some ideas until we got this story called The Gambler uh, that I did in Savage Sword. And I just poured everything into it. It was like, I'm going to make this quintessential Conan story, make it as cool as I can and don't fuck it up. And, um... And it went really well, and I thought, okay, I can walk away a happy man. I've done a Conan story, and it went well enough that it became an audition where mm-hmm. I didn't know that Jason was wrapping up his time on the book, and they were actually looking for a writer, and so the timing was kind of perfect on it. And Mark came to me and said, do you want to take over you know, Conan the Barbarian? And I actually didn't say yes the day they asked me. Um, mm-hmm. I needed like a day to think about it. Uh, cause I was co-writing Iron Man with Dan Slott and my schedule was really full and I thought, oh man, this is like, I totally want to do this book, but I'm also kind of terrified cause it's that weird thing of at Marvel, I've been doing a bunch of characters I like, but not like dream books. Uh And there's that weird moment of what if you fuck this up? Like Uh (laughs) it's one thing to, you know, this, this would really, you know, the fandom's intense and I love this stuff and do I have enough juice to like tell this every month to do this on and on and on and make it work. And so I needed to like psych myself up for it. So like for a day I just sat there and I was like, okay, I'm going to leave Iron Man and I'm going to pour myself into this and I'm going to write down a bunch of stuff and make sure I've got enough kind of meat on the bone and then come back with as much excitement as I can on it, you know? And did you, did you come up with the into the crucible story pretty quickly? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a riff on, you know, the thing with any long running character, and I don't know how, how you feel about this. Like these characters who have these immense legacies, it can be so hard to think of new permutations and yet the characters, they've been around so long. So how could you not, you know, find a new angle? Like I did a Batman story in legends of the dark Knight, And that's one of the hardest projects I've ever done because the fuck do you do with Batman? Like, <laughs> right. you know, and how do you make this feel like a quintessential Batman story, but not the same old shit you've seen before? Like what's left, you know, Batman fucking shovels his driveway. Batman, <laughs> Batman needs a burrito. Like what, like what's left, you know? And so just coming up with that stuff, you can, can be kind of intimidating and you need to do things that are different because that's, what's going to make the story stand out and you need to shake that character up and mess with them. But you take it too far and then the fans hate it. But if you mm-hmm. don't do enough, then they're like, why the fuck am I reading this? I've seen this all before, right? I think that's one of the things that people don't realize. And I have a lot more appreciation for I don't know about you. Like, you get sent all the Marvel PDFs. Just, right. Yeah, so do I, right? And so I'm reading a book, and every so often I'll read one, and I'll go, oh, man, they're going for Like, they're going for it. They're going to try and really mess this thing up. Like, do something wild. Right. And, and even if it doesn't work, I respect that because mm-hmm. you're trying to do something the ones that bore me are the safe ones where they're just doing the same old, same old. And I'm like, yep. But you know what? That, that's interesting because as I was reading your Conan, I was thinking, come on, you better give me this thing that Conan does. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you have to have certain ingredients. That's the yeah. thing. Is it? So that's, the, you know, it, these, these writers where they're able to take enough of those ingredients where you're like, this is a Conan meal. Like this feels right. like I got all the stuff I want. 
but you but something spicy something a little different something a little off kilter or a surprise or a even a particular like a, a bit of violence i wasn't expecting to play out the way it did something something a mm-hmm. little more you know well, i was looking for the sexy time right <laughs> and there's some sexy time it delivered yeah <laughs> it's, it's and actually then, funny i think some people I were saying in jason's here i don't think jason's run had any sex scenes and they were really like, i don't think so i could be wrong so please don't like someone in the chats could be like you're wrong conan fucked so many people in yeah. or something. I'm like, oh no well, that's what I, I feel like that's a that's like a quintessential part of it you have to have yes. the and then you know, unfortunately, Conan is a uh, huge misogynistic dick. <laughs> well, but so here's the thing. Okay, so that's what's interesting, and I talk about this all the time with people. the 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 assumption of Conan is that he is barbaric in the sense of he's a sexist piece of shit and and all this, but he's but he's not. And I can, and I'm not just saying that because I'm writing the character in Robert E. Howard's original books, in the source material, Conan is way smarter. Mm-hmm. And way more intuitive and way more respectful than you might imagine. Okay? He's not like raping and pillaging. That is not the character, right. has never been the character. But the 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 shadow kind of cast, unfortunately, from an amazing movie, the the Arnold film is amazing on a visceral level, on an adventure level. But from the actual prose from the source material, it's not very accurate. It actually mushes a bunch of stuff from like Call of the Conqueror and other source material. And John Milius is like particular things he likes about sword and sorcery in general. And Conan, you know, plus Arnold as an actor at that point is particularly um, wooden, you know, like mm-hmm. the, he's got charisma in that movie, but it's this like silent so it comes across as stupid and, you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. the shadow cast by that film is that, oh, he's just like this this man-child, monstrous muscle man, you know, fucking and killing and whatever. And and, and he's, he's not. And so, like, as right. much as possible, I try and hew to the... You need to have those bits in there in this broader sense of the violence and the sexuality. But, but he is not a fool and he's not just, like, taking what he wants, you know, in that in that way. Yeah, I, I don't mean like, I, I mean, when I say that he's like a misogynist or whatever, I guess what I'm saying is he ends up and he never stays with a woman. <laughs> and yet there is a, so there's another weird thing. There's a whole sequence, particularly in the comics, in the, in the books, there's a story called Queen of the Black Coast and he ends uh, up with a woman named Belit. And in the story, it doesn't really say exactly how long they're together. Although it doesn't seem like it's crazy long because it's just one story. In the comics, they're together for, oh, I could be wrong here, oh, like 50 issues. Really? Wow. Yes. Like, I, I want to say at least 25, if not 50 issues, they're together. And they are on these this pirate ship and going up and down the coast and kicking ass and fighting monsters and going onto these islands and getting in trouble. And then I think Conan 100 she dies and so they basically take queen of the black coast and they just stretch the middle of it out like crazy and fill in this montage of them together and so Belit is kind of conan's true love and then she dies tragically spoilers um how, how i wonder you, if how what okay. percentage of conan have you read just just curious like like would you the say you read most of it oh just conan in general like, like i've read all of it I've read everything. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. All now, right. like, I can't call it all to mind up front because you're talking yeah. about 300 plus issues of comics and, 
you know, all the stories and stuff like that. And when I took over the book, I always do this. I always do a deep dive. I don't know about you. Like, do you, as an artist, do you, do you deep dive on characters that you're going to be drawing or do you just sort of like hit the latest ones or? I think that it just depends. Like I, I tend to look for somebody, for guys that I think did something on it that, uh, that appeals to me and then sure. just put it, then I, then I try and spin it my own way. Yeah. But, you have to, right? Like, yeah. But I won't read, I won't read everything. Like, uh, I did do, I do remember when I did Scarlet Spider, I read every single issue of the, uh, Clone Saga, which is about a hundred wow. comic books. Wow. Uh, so I, yeah, I do these crazy deep dives on continuity, not even because mm-hmm. I want to call it all up in the story, but I guess it's like that role playing thing I was talking about. Like I want that, that DNA, like I want to see the evolution of the character and that way but but reading for research is different from reading for fun, man. Like when I read for research, I literally sit there with them on my tablet and I've got a notepad beside me and I'm writing down key points. I'm writing down like a line of dialogue I think is really poignant or I'll write down personality traits or I'll write down names of characters they interact with or, or who is that person, you know, they dated in that one issue. Maybe Maybe we can do some fun callback to that or maybe it'll be relevant later i'll write down questions for myself like did they ever pay that plot off like that's weird Mm -hmm. uh you know stuff like that and so like when i did champions that was a ton of reading because i read everything miles morales everything amadeus cho everything kamala khan everything sam alexander so that was probably like almost 200 issues of stuff right and isn't that a bummer that you have to sit in a chair and read comics for it's rough it's a terrible terrible thing (laughs) Uh, when I did Thunderbolts, I read every issue of Thunderbolts, uh, you mm-hmm. know, because we were going to do a lot of callbacks in that series. So I knew. And it's like it was fun. Obviously, it was something I really wanted to do. Um, Conan, I haven't I haven't read all of them recently, but mm-hmm. I did read some of my favorite runs on the series and I reread some of the Howard stuff. And I keep doing that, kind of pouring myself into bits. You know, Roy Thomas is a really tough act <laughs> to follow. That guy has written more Conan than anyone else. And um uh, it's phenomenal though too. Did you? Oh, you probably read that they did that king size Conan a couple weeks ago. Came out. I didn't read that. That yet. issue's badass, man. It's really good. And Roy's back. He does just a short story. Uh, McNiven drew it. Oh, and, I saw the art. Yeah. Oh God. And it's like Roy, like not a beat, you know, missed. Like he's back mm-hmm. and he just does his thing. And I'm like, damn, that's a really good turn of a Shakespearean language and everything. Well, and this yeah. is the thing: is that writing Conan is different from writing any other book because. The prose matters. Not that it doesn't mm-hmm. in other books, but the, the dialogue is there, but then those captions bring this poetic quality to the pages. And so mm-hmm. the action slows right down. We don't do chunk, chunk, stab, scream. Like that does not make an epic Conan fight. Like sound effects are not what's going to do it. You've got to describe these visceral atmospheric things, what's mm-hmm. in the air and the sounds and the clatter of the metal and all this and the sinew and bone and steel and like all that shit. Like you gotta, and, and you gotta get poetic with it and you gotta find weird turns of a phrase that feel interesting and, and, mm-hmm. and kind of that cling to the reader and make them just brings a, a, a sensory quality to reading the pages. And it's different from D and D and it's different from any other fantasy writing I've done. And that was something I was really intimidated by and still can be at, at times, you know, and Roy just does it like he just seems to, I'm sure he labors over it, but it never feels like it when I read it. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. He, I got to meet him a couple years ago at um, C2E2 at a, 
bar signing thing that I was doing, but nice. it was like set up at this weird place. So it ended up being like, there was nobody there. Like it was really just a oh, poorly crazy. conceived situation. So it was just <laughs> basically ended up being me and Roy Thomas just sitting there shooting the shit for hours. Kind of the and best awesome. for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And I just gone through, I mean, I'd read a lot of the Conan stuff earlier, but I'd just been rereading it. And so I was able to just like oh, sit there and so talk good. to him about everything that he was doing on it. So it the cool. last, the last convention I went to, so 2019, like October, I did Paris Comic-Con and got to take my wife to France, go mm. comics, right? Um, and Roy was at the show and I've never met him. And I knew I was taking over Conan, but it hadn't been announced yet. And I, I just like, I just wanted to meet him. And so I, I, I go by and man, the Conan books are huge in Europe. He had a massive line, just crazy all the old Avengers stuff. And then of course, you know, Conan and, um, I couldn't wait in that line. I had a bunch of events I was doing. So I kind of grabbed one of the handlers at the show and I, I did the, like, I'm a guest of the show. I'd like to meet Roy kind of thing. And the guy thankfully knew who I was and it was like, okay, we set something up. So he did a panel when he came back, I got there a few minutes early and we had a cool little conversation. One of my favorite con memories, Ryan. Oh my God. So I'm talking to Roy about Conan. He did a story for the new Savage Sword and it was the two issues after my three issues. Mm-hmm. And they sent him my issues just as like, a, hey, here's what we're doing on Conan. And so he said, oh, Jim, I read your issues. And I'm thinking, no, he didn't. He's just being nice. And then he called that specific story stuff from the issues. Like, oh, shit, he read them. And he said they were really good and he really liked it. And it, it just felt like it you know, was right. And I was like, oh, that's really good. I said, Roy, can I tell you, I need to tell you something. Uh, hasn't been announced yet. I'm taking over the monthly series uh, next year. And he looked at me. Man, he gave me this, like, warm, real warm, you know, smile. And he, and he slapped a hand on my shoulder. And he said, welcome to the fraternity. I cannot tell you how much that meant to me. How much that right. still means to me. Like, it mm-hmm. was crazy. I, I get tingles talking about it right now. <laughs> that's like, that's like the Stan Lee telling you, nice job on Spider-Man, kid. Like, mm-hmm. fuck. Like, w- the greatest. The greatest feeling. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the best moments I've had in comics. And um, just that's great. Just awesome. <laughs> no sick. pressure. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It was cool um, to hear about your research because when we had Chip Zdarsky on the show talking about Spider-Man life story, we were asking him about research. Oh and he was like, God. "Yeah, I just I went back and read every issue of Amazing Spider-Man." Yeah, <laughs> and, and and stuff like that's really interesting to me, especially with something like Conan, which has so much like lore to it and whatever. That always seems so daunting to me when you got to try to carve out a place. Well, so such here's a the thing. thing: people think that Conan's intimidating, like, "Oh, you got to read it all." Man, it's just right. like Spider-Man or Batman or whatever. Sure, yeah, you drop yeah. into the story, you're like, "This guy's a badass." In some ways, it's easier than Spider-Man because he, he doesn't have a, a huge secondary cast. You know what I mean? He it's almost always resets clothes. also. Yeah, he resets, yeah. exactly. So he's like, he's in a new city. Oh, there's a new woman and there's a new threat. Kick some ass and whatever. And what you'll see in Roy's run and what I've tried to do in mine is a similar type of thing where you kind of do that classic structure of what we call A plot, B plot, C plot, right? So the main plot is called the A plot. And then you'll have hints of something else that's bubbling up or someone will talk about some shit that's happening over in some other kingdom. And it'll come back around. The B plot becomes the A plot and the C plot moves into the B position. You know what I mean? So it's like I, in the in Into the Crucible, we lay the groundwork for what I'm hoping is, you know, like a nice ass long run. But we're peppering in little hints of things 
that I'm going to then pay off, you know, 10, 15 issues later. You could still read those issues on their own, but if you've been reading the whole way through, you're like, is that that warlord they were talking about way back when? You're like, yes, it is. Is that that, <laughs> you know, that, that treasure or that gem or that weapon? Yes, it is. Like, all that stuff's going to bubble back up. And so the little stray bits of dialogue make the world feel interconnected if you do your job right, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that's uh, really cool. we have a we have a segment on this show and uh, it's called um, Ethan nerds out on the guest. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ethan, would you like to do that? You sure. Got some I mean, Conan yeah. questions? I, uh, <laughs> I uh, you know, I, I can only nerd out to such an extent about Conan because I, I I've only uh, dipped in so deep to Conan. Like I've read Jason Aaron's stuff. I've now read your stuff. And uh, I have a question real quick, Ethan. Do you read <laughs> do you read actual novels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Conan uh, stuff. You've never read any Robert E. Howard. Yeah, most of them are short stories. I, I you should totally no, yeah, dig no. in on them. I, I would like. Okay, to. You should. Cool. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the thing that fun. throws people off is that they were written. When I say out of order, like like Robert E. Howard jumps around the timeline. Like the first Conan story that's released, he's already a king. <laughs> and then he goes back and tells some earlier stories of Conan. So it's like you're constantly jumping all over the timeline. That's but cool. all you need to know is: is he young? Is he old? Is he experienced? Is he the king? Is he, you know, like a like a, a, an impetuous youth? That's all you need uh -huh. to know. Yeah, they're like 15-minute, 30-minute stories, and yeah. Yeah. they're all cool. fun. I'll and every so often, I still, I still read them for inspiration, and some of the turns of a phrase, the visceral way he describes specific things, and you're like, I can't rip that off because it'll be too obvious I'm taking a Robert E. Howard line, but you're like, I want it to feel like that. I want it to... Just get a thesaurus. Just change each word. <laughs> it's it's tough. Man. Yeah, sometimes coming up with a phrase, like you're like, how many ways can I describe muscles tensing? You know, mm -hmm. how many ways can I describe, you know, metal clashing and all that stuff? It, right. it, it does become kind of a strange thing. Or you're like, let's talk about smells. Let me, what, is, what, is, what is the smell <laughs> like? Or what is, you know, the sound that's being created by the crunch under his foot? Or like what can I pull out of this artwork or pull out of this moment to, to enhance it and slow things down so that the reader is caught up in this, like everything is, is 300 and it's all, I do remember you describing screen. the smell of blood in the crucible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and that's uh, the kind of thing you just wouldn't do in another comic. You know, there's yeah. no, you just wouldn't think to. And so yeah. you kind of have to like tune your brain. It also means that whenever like in Savage Sword, they would have, you know, they've done this rolling group of writers <clears throat> and some of them are leaning into those elements and some of them don't. And whenever they don't, I have to kind of like retune my brain. Like, no, this is totally a fine Conan story. Like, don't be a dick, you know, just cause they're yeah. not doing it like Roy does. Doesn't mean it's not right. You know? So, right. Yeah. I, uh, that your, your work that I would nerd out on more that we actually have a lot of audience questions about that. I want to let them get to with like your champion stuff. Cause I love your champion stuff. Oh, thanks man. Um, but the uh, I do have a question because I love Rick and Morty. I love oh, Dungeons and Dragons, um, and uh, and I have your Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons, yes. and, and I haven't cracked it open yet. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, cracked it open I, yet? But but I have it, and I want to okay. ask you because I think that like that premise is like so such a cool combination of things. It is did one of the strangest. Did you have a particular attachment to Rick and Morty, and like where did that come from? So I that project is super fucked up. Like it was okay. unexpected to say the least. Um, so I'd watch Rick and Morty, and I really enjoyed it. Like you know, right. uh, I I like uh, Harmon's stuff, and I think he's really funny, and and you know, yeah. so I'd been following along with the series. 
Um, I'm a lifelong D&D player. I, I've been playing D&D since I was eight years old with my older brother. This is so corny. I did a TED Talk about Dungeons and Dragons. That's how much I know that I am for That's D&D. That's awesome. I didn't so know that. Can we find That's that awesome. somewhere? Yeah, if you go on my website, so jimsup.com, on the right-hand side, there's a little sidebar, and there's my TED Talk there. It's, it's, like, the two, it's like the two nerdiest things combined. Yeah, a TED Talk about yeah. Dungeons about and Dragons. So I, I, um, if, I listen, if I listen to your TED Talk, will I know how to convince Ryan to play D&D with me? Maybe. So this is, I will say one thing. I did that Ted talk. My mom watched it and she called me and she said, I think I understand why you like that game. Oh, and I was nice. like, wow, like that's mind blowing to me. Cause my mom was, in the I'm no of- longer ashamed of you, son. Yeah. That was in the middle. <laughs> like, my mom was you know, right in the midst of the satanic panic. Like you got to burn your D and D books. Cause there's, Oh, that is, like, that's part of why I didn't play. My mom yeah, yeah. told me I was not allowed to play Dungeons well, and Dragons. They, she tried to take our books away for a while. Right. Like right. that was right. The height of that stuff. Right. So to have her say to me, I think you and I understand why you like that game, that to that context to, to understand why that was such a big deal for her to say that to me. And I said, Oh, do you want to, place like oh no of course not but but i'm glad (laughs) but i'm glad it means so much to you and i was like okay cool (laughs) um so anyways what had happened was i was you know i've been doing the DD comics since 2014 like since fifth edition DD launched and fifth edition DD is the current iteration and it's the biggest the game has ever been the sales numbers now are staggering um for the game but they didn't know that when fifth edition was going to launch and i'll really quick aside there were no plans to make a D comic with fifth edition originally the only reason why it happened was because i was doing um samurai jack at idw ted adams the one of the owners of idw at the time <clears throat> he loved the samurai jack comic and he approached me at emerald city comic con and he said i love samurai jack's one of my favorite books we publish i want you to do more books for us and he, he's like, we need more Jim Zub comics. And I was like, oh, man, that would be great. What do you want to do? And I said, either Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or D&D. And he goes, well, Kevin Eastman's coming back to Turtles. And no offense, he's kind of got priority. <laughs> and I was like, I get that. And he goes, you don't want to do D&D. I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, you know, keep in mind, this was the end of fourth edition. Like the game's at a real low point in terms of sales. And then he said... Those guys over at Wizard of the Coast are some of the hardest clients we've ever done approvals with. They are so stringent and so particular. And I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, they're really hard. Like, it's just not going to be any fun for you. And I was like, no, that can't be. I can't, like, I can't see that. And he's like, I said, can we at least, like, set up a call? And he goes, I'll set up a conference call. You'll see. Like, these these people, they're, I mean, they mean well. They're very protective of their IP. Just be ready for it. I was like, okay. And we get on a call, and I got along so well with them because they're just D&D nerds. Mm-hmm. And Ted Adams isn't a D&D nerd. So I was like, no, these are my fucking people. Like, I totally <laughs> get why they're so protective. And so we had a great conversation, and they really liked Skull Kickers and everything else. And they were like, yeah, we want to do a new D&D comic if Jim's doing it. And so we launched the book as fifth edition is launching, not knowing this is going to be the biggest edition of D&D ever. And the sales are going to geometric, like year on year, they're almost doubling. And so the comic is done really well. And my editor at IDW doesn't play D&D. So I just start interfacing directly with Wizards of the Coast. And so the more I send them stuff, the more we just get on random conversations. Or if I go to Seattle, I go up to the office and I hang out. And they start sending, I start doing consulting work for them. I start doing story development stuff. 
Um, I, I can't talk about some of the stuff I'm working on now, but I'm doing active development on everything from video game stuff to, to, you know, entertainment stuff to you name it. And because I'm super passionate about it and I love doing the thing. My wife and I do a series of books called The Young Adventurer's Guides that are literally made for 8 to 10-year-olds to bring them into D&D. And they're now sold through, like, the book clubs and, and Random House and all this Very kind of cool. stuff. Yeah, like, this is my jam, right? So <clears throat> the good news is I've got a lockdown on, like, D&D comic stuff. Like, they love working with me and I love working with them. And then someone at IDW and Oni, I think they were out for dinner or something, and they were talking about doing crossover stuff between the two companies. And mm -hmm. someone at that dinner said, Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons. And everyone at the table laughed. And then it stuck in their heads, and they were like, that would be crazy. That would be crazy. The next day, uh, Sarah Gatos came to me. She's one of the editors, and she said, would you be interested in this you know, crossover? And I said, sure, but it'll never happen. Sure, but can we put Conan in it also? Right. <laughs> Just to, to hit all the bases? Yeah, so I said it'll never happen. It'll never happen. You'll never get Adult Swim and Hasbro, because they own Wizards of the Coast, to come to terms with their two like crown jewels and fuck with them. Like I just don't see this happening. And it took them nine months to negotiate that contract between the two on it. Um, and while that was happening, somehow someone at Oni had contact with Pat Rothfuss, the, the famous fantasy author who is like the next George R. R. Martin or whatever. Right. And he mm -hmm. expressed interest. And so a year later at Emerald City Comic Con, I went for dinner with Pat and we were basically on the book together because he hadn't written a comic before. And I was a little worried because I thought this was going to be like I was going to be the scribe and I was just going to be like writing Pat Rothfuss's story for, you know, in comic form. And I was like, I don't want to like, but we got on a call before that dinner and we actually kibitzed really well. And he had enough cool ideas, but still had openings. And I was like, no, here's how we do this. And so it was very much collaborative. And we started plugging away on the thing. And both of us were like really big fans of both Rick and Morty and D&D. &D. And, and right. Pat actually had like a manifesto he sent me for the series. And he said, we can't play it like, you know, fucking basement boys and, and being embarrassed about D&D. &D. Like that's not what this is anymore. And that's not what the hobby is. And okay. he said, and we can't, the best Rick and Morty episodes and the best Rick and Morty writing is about like family and depression and like fucked up emotional stuff so we have to do fucked up emotional stuff not just lord rick and i right. was like i'm on board like you're you're speaking my language we're not just going to hit the classic corny cliches of a crossover we're going to like try and get under the surface so like we wrote if you read it you'll see like we get into the family dynamics and we like really really kind of get under their skin and mess with them in mm -hmm. fucked up ways while doing funny callbacks while riffing on old D and D nerd shit and like rules garbage and like just making it as weird and twisted a labyrinth as we can on it. So yeah, I'm it. really proud of the book. M one of my favorite things was when the book was announced, there was a whole bunch of flack. Like people were just like, this is the most crass cash in garbage. And then the book came out and people were like shaking their fists, like, damn it. It's good. Like I, like I, I turned them around. Like they assumed it was going to be just the most surface level shit. And then they read it and they go, this is like a really good episode. And I go, Damn right. <laughs> nice. I love it. Yeah. Uh, do you guys, do you guys want to take some audience questions before we put the bow on this thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good question. Um, from Henry asks, 
So when writing a Conan story, what are some key elements you always strive to hit? Which I'd like to hear mm-hmm. too, because like I said, mm-hmm. I, I have my own that I, sure. I was rooting for you to hit. Nice. Um, so I think, I, I mean, a Conan story has to be about the, the obvious, you know, you're going to have violence and, and whatever. Like those are, me saying that is such an obvious kind of thing. Co- the, the classic theme of a Robert E. Howard Conan story is one of civility versus savagery, right? Mm-hmm. And savagery, not in the sense that you think of Conan as a barbarian. The, the savagery that Robert E. Howard is most critical of are the people who put on a veneer of civility, that the cities and the royalty and the people who think they're better than the peasants treat people like shit. And they'll mm-hmm. do it under the auspice and the rules of the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So in that way, Conan tears through their rules and he tears through their systems sometimes quite easily because he's an outsider and so there's always has to be that element of an outsider versus a structure and conan is almost always breaching that structure and sometimes in very obvious ways and sometimes in very subtle ways and so that i think hews very closely to robert e howard's stories and so the best conan stories to me are about conan is this He's this this wild variable. If everything carried out the way it would have, tradition would have continued, or the monster would have kept slaying, or the 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 big evil wizard would have carried out their horrific you know task. But Conan is there, and he's the fly in the ointment. He's the thing that's going to twist things up, and he's going to either through the act of you know the violence, he's going to do something to change things, or just through his action. So at the end of Into the Crucible. I made a key point about the narrative where it says people will hear about the deeds of this man who came and, you know, won this tournament and, and, and killed a bunch of these key people in this city. And part of them will realize that their leaders are no longer immortal. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That, that they will suddenly realize, wait, maybe we could start a rebellion. Maybe we need to change things. And Mm -hmm. that is weirdly the most important part of that story Mm -hmm. for me anyways. Um, so I think that's a key element of a good Conan story. I think a good Conan story has to test Conan. If it's just about him being a badass, you'll hit the surface level really easy, but you have to actually put him into a situation where he has to make difficult decisions, not just violent decisions. Mm-hmm. If it's just as simple as saying, there's a bad guy in front of me, okay, let's spray the blood. Like that's not, you'll hit the surface level of Conan, but it won't stick with people. You have to put him into a situation where he's going to, it's going to be difficult. He's going to be the underdog, not Mm -hmm. just a badass. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really, really valuable to a Conan story. And a lot of times I see people, their image of Conan is he is an unstoppable, monstrous badass and it's like conan actually can't take down an army by himself he's not superhuman but he's smart and he's capable and he he is a survivor you know what i mean but he won't just charge into a room of 20 guys he's not a ninja he can't just like you know he's not wolverine he doesn't have a healing factor like so you you have to use him in very particular ways he's not suicidal you know uh, and stuff like that. So I think that that's really important. He has to be mortal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like a Conan story. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that's well, those are two qualities for me that are crucial. 
We got a bunch of comments on your Champions run. Adam loves it. Dakota Crow says, Jim, I loved your Champions run. And Thanks. Abigail Mendoza, who is one of our mm-hmm. lovely patrons, uh, asked, Jim, which member of the Champions would you most like to write a solo for? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I do really, really like Miles. Like, Miles was the character I was most nervous about writing when I took over mm-hmm. Champions mm-hmm. and the one I'm kind of most proud of. And I put that character through hell in um, in our in our relaunch. So we did a, mm-hmm. a thing called Beat the Devil, and um, it's Conan. Sorry, Conan. What am I saying? It's Miles and Mephisto, and mm-hmm. it's a real nasty story. And I uh, some readers would would tweet me after every issue came out, and they're like, "Why do you hate Miles so much?" <laughs> and I was like, "No." you know stan lee treats characters like shit like roy thomas all your favorite writers bendis kates you name it they've all they put these characters through the ringer because because they're worthy because they will persevere and they will show us something beautiful about that's why they're heroes yeah their resilience right the Mm -hmm. the characters that drive me crazy are the ones where i feel like the writer's always using kid gloves on them like they're not they're not worthy of of drama you know what I mean? And right. so it was It was difficult because um, I think Mark Wade had a much lighter touch to the book, and he was doing a brighter kind of book. And when I came on board, Tom Brevoort, the editor, and I were talking, and he was, he said, you know, he asked me if I was interested in the series. I said I was, but I wanted to hearken to some of my favorite teen books, which was like classic teen titans, like mm-hmm. the, the Perez stuff, you know, and Wolfman, and, and also New Mutants. And Claremont drags every book character through hell. And that's what made those books so special to me was that the characters were really overcoming a lot. And they would have wonderful moments of joy punctuated in and amongst these terrible dramas. And so I said, that's what I want to do. And Tom's like, that's exactly what I want. And so I went in with both feet and really dug down and made those characters hurt because I <laughs> love them, because I wanted the book to be that kind of book, you know, Mm -hmm. and the readers that dug it, they really resonated on it. And it meant a lot to me. And I think some of the right readers that started with champions, they were shocked. They were like, why are you doing this? Why are you being so cruel to, to, you know, all to Sam in particular, like we took away his Nova ability for Mm -hmm. a long time. We took away his helmet and made the other Mm -hmm. people on the team make him want to leave. And like, made it hard 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 but to me that felt like classic kind of teen superhero storytelling so that's why yeah. i did it um definitely but yeah miles is a character that i i'll tell you i don't think i've told this anecdote to anyone i'll tell, tell you really quick um i've taken over champions i'm I, i've done champions for a little bit but we're doing the relaunch of the book mm-hmm. i'm in the midst of writing this mephisto story dark dark stuff particularly with miles and kamala really dark dan slot messages me and and into the spider verse is coming out and he's like you have to go see it on opening weekend and i'm like dude i'm really busy like i'm really busy right now and he goes zub you are fucking writing miles morales you have to go see it it's part of the family you gotta go and i'm like okay dude okay and he goes it's the best superhero movie and i was like ha 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 what are you talking about like marvel's on this unstoppable run of of movies what are you talking about he goes go right now like that was the text i was like all right all right so i bought tickets and my wife and i go with a couple friends and i walk out of the theater and i'm shaking i'm like that (laughs) film is transcendent it's one of my favorite superhero movies it's unstoppable right 
-hmm. And then I get this deep, terrible fear in my stomach because I'm currently running a storyline about Mephisto and Miles. And I'm like, imagine you go see the Spider-Verse movie and then you go pick up champions (laughs) and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, what have you done to my favorite new character, right? And I, I actually messaged Bendis and Brian and I have only chatted a couple times and I was like, Brian, I'm losing my mind. Uh, and he's like, what? And I said, I just saw Spider-Verse. And he's like, it's the greatest, right? I'm like, yeah, that's why I got to call you. I got to call you right now. And we got on a phone call and he was so nice to me. He was so nice to me. I said, I think I've made a terrible mistake. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm writing this story about Miles and it's the darkest shit ever. And it's really harsh. And he goes, okay, but like, do the heroes win? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, then it's a good superhero story. I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's like, like I'm riffing on, on, on one more day stuff with Mephisto and it's like dark, Mm -hmm. dark, dark. And he goes, Jim, these characters are bigger than you and they're bigger than me and they can take it. And you, if you believe in the story and your editor believes in the story, then it's probably a good story. And -hmm. if you're scared to tell it, then that means you've got to tell it. And I was just like, what? And he goes, dude, you got to tell it. Now I really want to read it. And I'm like, oh God, oh God. And he goes, are you proud of the story? Don't think about the movie. Are you proud of the story? I said, yes. And he goes, then go write it and, and Godspeed. And I was just like, oh, Brian Michael Bendis, damn you, you're so good. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, it was really good. I love that. Yeah, it was um, awesome. We got, uh, we got John Iker, who does a lot of graphics for the show. He brought up the idea that a lot of people seem to agree with, which is that it would be fun to slap a symbiote on Conan uh, <laughs> and see how that goes. So um, the superhero thing, like, uh, you know, Jerry's doing the Savage Avengers book, and I think it's so much fun. I'm, I love yeah. reading every issue of it because he can really cut loose with, with um, Conan. Was, and wasn't Venom Avengers. in that? I think that there's an issue where he and Venom are running around, but he doesn't actually yeah. get possessed by the symbiote or anything. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was such a weird thing. At the end of No Road Home, we set up all these potential plot lines, and one of the ideas we came up with at the table was, what if Conan doesn't go back yet? And we didn't know how long it would last. We're just like, <laughs> yeah, we'll dump him in the Savage Land at the end of the story and just leave it as like a hanging question mark. And instantly, Jerry came back with this pitch, and it was like, oh, shit. And I'm glad he's doing it. I don't know if I would like I because I'm so protective of the character, even writing him in No Road Home was hard because it was like and and if you read the sections, he's like he's on this very classic fantasy adventure with the Scarlet Witch and he just thinks of her as a witch, you know, like and we kept him in the Hyborian age. We didn't bring him until the very end of the story. Then we brought him into Marvel Earth, you know, so I feel like I'm like the crossover stuff's harder for me. Because I'm like so, I feel like he's got to be in his pure kind of sword and sorcery element. Right. Whereas I think like Jerry's less precious, so he's like, yeah, we'll give him a machine gun for an issue. Fuck it, you know. And yeah. and and Godspeed to him because I think that's cool. I would never do that, of course, in the core book. The core book's got to be like pure Hyborian age. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, not that I haven't done crossover stuff. I did that Serpent War series that was like Moon Knight, Conan, Dark Agnes, and and. Um, solomon kane and that was that was a lot of fun i mean of course uh moon knight and conan should be together <laughs> right well th- so the connection is set right because both the worlds have the snake god you know like yeah. moon knight fights you know so that was where the connective tissue worked on that it actually worked relatively well so 
We we have a friend of the show, Kenny Porter, is in the chat, um, and he uh, he he wanted to say that uh, Skull Kickers was one of the big inspirations for his book Barnstormers. Oh, cool, uh, man! That's awesome. Yeah, uh, so that was cool to hear. Um, we yeah. also got a question from the Art Jedi that asked if Star Wars has had any influence at all on your Conan work, which I thought was an interesting question. The Star Art Wars Jedi like is Conan wondering. Um, yeah, I he mean, has a very particular interest set of interests. Well, he'll be happy to know I just finished writing a Star Wars uh, short story right. for a book that came out called uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back from a Certain Point of View. So oh, I yeah, the yeah. Yoda yeah. story in there. Um, and that's my second Star Wars project. Much like I colored some Conan, I colored a Star Wars short story for Dark Horse back uh-huh. in 2002, 2003. Uh, the funniest thing is so that story is drawn by Scott Kurtz, you know, the PvP guy. The letterer on that short story is a is a young pup named Robert Kirkman. Whoa! <laughs> so, because that's how he made money when he was starting in independent comics was by lettering. That's sick. Uh, yeah, so it's so funny. Uh, Scott tweeted about that Star Wars story a couple years ago, and we tagged Kirkman, and he immediately <laughs> tweeted back and was like, "Whatever happened to that loser?" We were like, "Yeah, that's good stuff." I, uh, what was, what is your, uh, story in the certain point of view one? I'm, I'm excited to see that. So it's, it's, so certain point of view is basically they take the movies and, and yeah. they are from a certain point of view. So it's none of the main characters. So no Han right. Solo, Luke or Leia. It's all weird background characters observing uh-huh. moments from the movies. So how did they get there? Why, what is the bartender at the cantina thinking when this old man cuts the, you know, the arm off the guy in Star Wars and stuff like that. And what was he, he just wanted to finish his shift and now there's a fight breaking out and, oh, right. fuck, you know, so it's like really fun stuff. And, and That's some sick. of them are very funny and some of them are very weirdly um, poignant in, right. in odd ways, right? A random, you know, person getting blown away in the background of a rebel <laughs> battle. And all of a sudden you're like finding out their life story and that this is the end of it kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so the book, the first book did really well. It was like a New York times bestseller. And they did another one for the 40th anniversary of empire strikes back last year, right. 40 stories from 40 authors. <clears throat> and because I'm doing these D and D books for random house, I'm now kind of in their loop. And mm-hmm. so they just wanted to get a lot of pop culture people and people who haven't done Star Wars stuff before. So they mm-hmm. reached out and asked if I wanted to do a short story. Um, and originally, I wasn't going to do Yoda. I was going to do the, the, the creature in Dagobah that eats R2 and spits him up. So mm-hmm. I was going to do like its daily life cycle and how it's like <laughs> hunting for food and thinking about, you know, how it wants to mate or whatever. And then it's going to find this metallic thing and be like, oh, this is the biggest dinner ever. And so I was writing this like that was my original proposal. And they came back and they said, this is really funny. Um, We have some characters that no one has done dibs on yet. And we're kind of worried no one's going to do them because they're they're like intimidated. Uh Are you interested in Yoda? And I was like, what? No one has picked Yoda yet. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, I could take a take a crack at it and so i came back with this proposal of of yoda basically in the middle of like a jedi um meditation and what that feels like to be connected to the force and Mm. how that gets broken when the x-wing shows up on dagobah and all of a sudden it's like luke's here tromping around where's the where's the jedi master and all this shit and then yoda reacting to it and then making the conscious decision to play like a fool 
Because Yoda mm-hmm. in that first scene is like extra Muppety. He's like all weird and, what do you want? Like he's like all wa- Warpo. And right. uh, I was That's like, a good why, did, why does he act like that? And I said, well, because it's a conscious choice because he wants to teach Luke a lesson, the first lesson, which is the name of the story. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't assume that I'm a little useless creature. I'm the Jedi Master, basically. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I kind of dug in on that. And I sent the proposal and I thought they won't go for it. And they <laughs> did. And we have two like key moments in there because I realized that Yoda would recognize R2 because he's seen him in the prequels. Right, right. And so I have him consciously see R2 and he goes, oh, of course he has Anakin's robot. You know, yeah. this is a cycle of fate. This is a, this is what happens with the, you know, when the force, it brings these things around, you know, things like That's that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that Yoda doubts for a moment is he doesn't know if he can train this kid. And so internally, he's like playing, messing with Luke. And I have a moment where he's thinking. And his thoughts aren't those broken sentences, thankfully. I don't have to write like <laughs> dialogue, you know. But he actually says, um, you know, you know, can, 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 I, can this boy, you know, balance the force? Can I teach him, you know, I, I'll have to try. And then he stops and he goes, there is no try. And that's how the story ends, is him realizing, you know, yeah. So I love it. this little poignant kind of moment, pulled it out of it, sent that thing in, and my guts were kind of twisted in knots. Uh, everything that Lucasfilm uh, goes through, so many layers of approvals, um, and they sent my notes back, and it was so crazy because it's like the PDF has comments from five different people. <laughs> and in some cases, they're having conversations in the comments with each other. Wow. So like that moment where Yoda recognizes R2, there's like someone goes, is this work? And then someone else goes, well, he would know what it is. So yes, technically, but do we want that to be revealed here? If so, how is this being worded? And they're having an entire conversation in the comments and at the very end, they're like approved. And I That's went, really cool. <laughs> oh, I didn't have to see any of that, but I'm kind of excited that I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny, so. That's sick. Just, I love it. Yeah, neat stuff. So yeah, so I don't. I guess my Conan isn't influenced by Star Wars, but you got some Star Wars content here. So perfect. So, we always love to get Star Wars in here when Donnie's not here because he doesn't like to talk about Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Donnie doesn't like to talk about Star Wars. Well, he's he's kind of a new convert. The Mandalorian season two has gotten him into Star Wars a little bit. That's but, it. Uh, yeah, generally oh he's God. not a big fan. So we uh yeah we sneak it in when we can. Ryan, um, are you a Star Wars guy? Not like a not like a super deep Star Wars guy. Like I've seen all of it and i uh i've never gone out of my way to read like a star wars novel or anything but right, i right. uh i've read some of the comics and all that stuff i do enjoy it i haven't watched all of the mandalorian yet which is what uh, yeah well, it, it's geez. a long story i will be <laughs> watching it soon um i'm thinking about reading charles's new book it looks pretty i was fun. about to say yeah. i was yeah. about to say not only is friend of the show charles still writing a really good main star wars series but mm-hmm. the, whole, the whole high republic line just launched since we last did an episode so yeah and that uh, book he's been he's been pouring himself into it uh yeah you know we were we were on a call like last week just talking about stuff and it was like cause he was talking all about doing development at lucasfilm stuff and i was talking mm-hmm. about doing development with wizard of the coast and we were just sort of like sharing war stories like it mm-hmm. was a lot of fun and and Charles is really reserved. Like he, you know, I, I, I'm sure you've, uh, you guys have interviewed him on here or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he holds his cards really tight to his chest. So watching him get genuinely giddy about projects <laughs> like this was, was quite a joy for me, honestly. So I'm super pumped to it. read it. 
Yeah. Well, guys, we have uh, crossed the hour mark. Do you guys want to wind it down, put a bow on it? Yeah, I think we got to. My wife's probably uh, sitting upstairs crying because I'm not hanging out with her. So. <laughs> well, perfect. Everybody make sure that you check out Jim's uh, Conan and also his previous uh, Savage Sword of Conan issues. Is there anything else that you want people to go out and check out, Jim? Um, I'm doing the. I'm co writing the Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons miniseries oh, cool. that's coming out from. Um, Dark Horse and IDW. Issue 3 just came out this week. Uh, Really, really proud of that. We got to fill in kind of the gaps of the gameplay that happens in in Season 1, 2, 3 of Stranger Things. And uh, some really cool little emotional bits about how the kids got into the game. The first issue takes place before Season 1 and shows them starting to play D&D. And those kids started playing right around the same age I did in the same Mm -hmm. era. So it's like a huge nostalgia bomb for me to write about that that time period of early 80s D&D and uh, some little in-jokes about my games and stuff. It was it was a real joy to put together. And Jody's awesome. a great collaborator. So, um, And then Max Dunbar and I are doing Stone Star over at Comixology Originals. And that's Sweet. like a space Love fantasy. Max. Max is so amazing. He's one of those talents that should have blown up a couple years ago and now now this year is going to be his year he's got Mm -hmm. a new batman project he's doing and he is just crushing it that guy is uh he's a stellar stellar talent and a hard worker but i would never say that publicly (laughs) (laughs) well thomas Thomas hart in our chat says that stranger things D &D is really good and if thomas hart in our chat says it's good everybody should go check it out because he's a great judge of content awesome Um, make sure that you guys go read all of that stuff Jim, it's so awesome to have you here. So good to get to talk to you. Yeah, Thank thanks you for, for doing this, on. Jim, especially on short yeah. notice. Stan, yeah, thanks man. for letting me, man. I feel like I just diarrhea the mouth here. I was like running off on all. No, you no, did great. great. You, yeah, you really did okay. great. That was you, you carried it. We didn't have to say. We didn't have to have too much prepared. I read your comics. <laughs> it was great. People awesome, in the chat man. are people in the chat are saying they feel inspired. They're feeling creative. It's good awesome. stuff. So. Oh, here's yeah. something. If you guys are inspired, and if you're would be comic creators, or you're just curious about stuff behind the scenes. On my website. How did I not bring this up? This is something that comes up on the show all the time. Go ahead. On my website, I have tutorials on how to write comics. So I have probably like 40 different articles. If you go to my website and you scroll down, right around that TED Talk, there's a thing that says tutorials, like 40 free articles about how to write comics, how to pitch your own stories, how to structure uh, story material, a lot of Q&A about how it is to work in the business, some of the economics of creator-owned books. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Patreon is like a, an archive of my writing. I have over 250 scripts that you can dig through for the price of a coffee. Right. And you can find out how comics are made and compare them to the printed issues and see some of the changes and developments that these books go through. You know, like when you work with a great artist, like a Ryan Stegman, mm-hmm. and they bring mm-hmm. themselves into it, the script is just the first part of the of the building process. Like. I have a vision in my mind of how something might look, but the artist needs to put themselves into it or it's not going to feel rich and full, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I want to play to their strengths. And so you see in the first couple issues of a run, I'm overwriting because I'm trying to like impart a vision. And then as I get more comfortable with an artist, it's like becomes almost like a shorthand. Like you just get more and more used to working with them and and letting them kind of run wild with, the stuff that they do so well you know right yeah yeah griffin and i the producers of this show have found your pitch material super helpful as we've been working on our own pitches and stuff so yeah we're very grateful for that yeah Um, it's honestly one of the weirdest things because now when i would go to conventions i knew things were sort of shifting because people come over to me and said oh this is my first indie published book and you know i i 
pitched based on the way that you taught how to pitch. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. I feel like I'm just starting in my career. And now I have in my office, I have a stack of indie books from people who have said, you know, thank you for your help or whatever. And I'm mm -hmm. always kind of humbled and, and thrilled that I've been able to, you know, help people out or, or demystify because that was yeah. what drove me crazy was I just didn't understand what people were looking for for the longest time. So mm -hmm. cool, man. Yeah. We got, yeah. we got Dom Gomez in the chat. He's really excited to check it out. Brad Starnes asked if you could talk for another hour or seven people love you, Jim. <laughs> thanks so oh, much thanks, for being man. here. It's been a great episode. Uh, make sure you check out his website and all of his books. There's a few other things to check out. Send us an email at stegmanandfreds at gmail.com. Let us know if you're loving the show, leave us a review on Apple podcasts and wherever else you can. We're on Spotify and all the major platforms. And the biggest thing that you could do to help out the show, help us keep the lights on, is go to SheridanandSmith.com. Uh, that is the website for producers, the producers, the supple boys of this show. Um, and on there, you can find our Patreon. You can find uh, you can find our merch store as well. There's merch for this show. There's merch for all the shows in the Amazing Friends Podcast Network. For also Donny Cates' show with his wife Megan Hutchison, uh, Devil's Advocates Book Club. You can find that and the Supple Boys Podcast. All those things at the website SheridanandSmith.com. If you do get any merch, if you do jump on our Patreon, it's massively helpful and it helps us do these shows because God knows Ryan doesn't pay us. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we really appreciate anything that you chuck our way. Um, and we also just love hearing from you. So if you get through our contact channel, Stegman Show on Twitter, Ryan is at, what's your Twitter, Ryan? Is it Ryan Stegman? Uh, yeah, Ryan Stegman. Jim, what's your Twitter? Just at Jim Zub. So J at Jim Zub. Yeah, Z-U-B. Perfect. I am at Tales to Astonish. Thanks so much, everybody, for checking out the show. Any final thoughts, boys? Anything before we go? Jonathan Eicher reminded me that I'm supposed to say, uh, that I have a catchphrase to say at the end. But if you have something mm -hmm. to say, Jim, say that first so I can say the catchphrase next. <laughs> um, if you guys get a chance to check out uh, Conan the Barbarian, it would mean the world to me. Uh, writing this book is an absolute dream. And uh, we had a bit of a publishing gap because of the pandemic. So I had two issues come out. Uh, February, March last year, and then we had a six-month gap, and now we're basically getting momentum and ramping up again. Corey right. is doing some of the best pages of his life. If you guys want to see some absolutely awesome sword and sorcery, please, please uh, pre-order issue 19. Follow us all the way through to issue 25, which is legacy number 300 of Conan. It's going to be my first time doing a big anniversary issue. So awesome. if you follow on with us, I will, I will make it worth every penny, I promise. Absolutely. That's Ryan, great. what's your catchphrase? Quit your jobs. Chase your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's the official stance of this podcast. Quit your job. Chase your dreams. Stay amazing, friends. We will see you guys in another week. Hey, did you know that the podcast you're listening to right now is actually part of a network of podcasts dubbed the Amazing Friends Podcast Network, Ethan Parker Smith? I did, Griffin Sheridan. And did you know that for other great podcasts, comics, and more, you can visit SheridanandSmith.com? Huh. No shit. Ooh.